Last week, Labor Day weekend, Ben began the uh, process of, of, uh, of our new uh, sermon series for this fall. And it's a digging in series. We'll have these digging in series. We had one a few months ago on Romans 8. This is digging in an in-depth look at the church, an in-depth look at the church. It's from Acts chapter 1 through 10, because that's what Acts is. Acts is a look at who the church is. It's the Acts of the Apostles is the longer word for it. But the idea there is that this is who the church is how God is continuing to work through the church into the future. And we got to know what that's about because we have to answer the question, what in the world are we doing here? Like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here as a church? Like, you're here as a worshiper and a participant. And, and well, like, what are we doing as the church of God? And Acts answers that question. And so we're going to look in depth at these passages in the first 10 chapters at least and figure out, like, so what is God's church? What is it like to be God's church? The book of Acts, I'd love you to grab a Bible. We don't, we're not going to have all the scriptures, but I'm going to introduce uh, uh, the second chapter today. But if you'd grab a Bible right now, let's want you to do that and open that up. Um, it's page, somebody will give me a page number because I don't have it memorized. 1091. 1091. So 109. There was a bookmark in there? So you weren't that spiritual. You didn't find it that fast? Let it open, let it fall open, and it's to the right page. The book of Acts um, is, uh, is a continuation. Remember, Ben talked about sequels last week, if you heard his sermon. The book of Acts is a sequel. It's a sequel to what book? Who knows? Who remembers? Luke, the book of Luke. So Luke wrote Luke Acts. And uh, he started with a story about who Jesus was, and then he went on to talk about who, uh, the, what the church was going to be about. Here's a summary of the book of Acts from the, the Bible Project. Uh, I love this that Ben found and introduced to us last week. Here's a summary of the book of Acts. What's going on here? What's happened in the book of Acts? It's a Jesus, it's a Jesus-centered thing. Je- the story of Luke, the Luke is the story of Jesus. This is still about Jesus. It's Jesus leading his people. There's the church. Jesus leading his people. It's Jesus leading his people by the Holy Spirit to do what? What's it say? To go out, to go. It's Jesus leading his people by the Holy Spirit to go out into the world and invite all the peoples. And I love that little parenthetical there. It's an international multi-tribe gathering. That's what the people of God is about, to go out and reach all the peoples of the world to live under his reign, to live with Jesus as our king. So this is what Acts is about. It's Jesus leading his people uh, by the Spirit to go out into the world. And so we're going to try to figure out, so what does that mean for us? And that's a great way for us to begin as we're launching the fall. We're kind of getting into all the things that are happening for us to ask that question. If you look back at Acts chapter 1, and uh, you'll see that that he says in, uh, Luke says in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, he was writing, there was, this was the person who probably was, was the person who helped him uh, get this book going, maybe uh, funded it. But he said, I wrote about all the things that Jesus, what, what's the next word? That Jesus, what? Began to do and to teach. It was the beginning. He said, Luke was writing in the book of Luke. It was the story of what Jesus began to do and to teach. What's the implication? That there's some more stuff to come. This is just the beginning of Jesus' teaching, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And now we're going to see further that there's more ministry that Jesus has to do because then in Acts, he said, here's what's coming up next. So look down at at verse 4 
uh, of chapter 1. On this one occasion, he was eating with them because he'd been with them for 40 days after his resurrection. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on in verse 8 to say, and you're going to receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Here's what's happening. He said, at the beginning, I told you about Jesus who began to teach us about his work. And now we're going to be Jesus's people that he's going to lead on in the form of the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the beginning of the church. The church is born. And that's what we're going to look at. This birth of the church is what is coming. And you see that happen in the text today in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 1 and following. Just at the very beginning of chapter 2, I want you to see it. We're going to go through it. The day of Pentecost came is where it starts. But I want you to see this. I want you to see this point that I want to bring up today before Ben comes to preach and Art comes to preach. This idea that the birth of the church was about God sending his spirit to live in the church. God sending his spirit to live among his people, that was the birth of the church. And I put an exclamation point there on my notes because I want to say this is an amazing concept that God actually has come to the world and brought his spirit to be in the church and that is who we are. And the Acts passage is going to talk about what happened and how that came about and then we're going to talk a little bit about what it might mean. So verse 1 of chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish holiday. Pentecost means the 50th. It means it's the 50th day after Passover. So it was part of one of their, their harvest festival-y, uh, you know, oriented around their harvests. But it was somewhere end of May, beginning of June, something like that, right? 50 days after Pentecost, which is, uh, or sorry, after Passover, which is in the spring. And it was one of the three main festivals of the Jewish religion. And the Jewish religion said, you guys come and meet with the Lord. Come and have an audience with God on these three main festivals. Come into Jerusalem. And so what happened was people were from all over the world who were believers or God-fearers. They may not have had Jewish blood in them, but they were invited to be part of that cohort of those who acknowledged this God. They would all come in to Jerusalem and they were all together. The all here is probably just the 11 is where it started. But when the day of Pentecost came, I, I tell you all that because it's a very significant thing that God gathered all these people before he birthed the church. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Verse two, suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house while they were sitting there. When you do see wind in the scriptures, you can, there, it is, the prophets talk about it and in some of Jesus' teaching, the wind is a reference. It's a metaphor for the Holy Spirit's presence. Because you can't see it, but you see its effects. That's wind. So they saw the wind, the wind, so they're, they're all together and the sound came like the blowing of a violent wind and it filled the whole house, verse three, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on all of them. So somehow fire sort of showed up and then the fire separated and a little, like a tongue of fire just was above the heads of all the people. You may have seen some of the, the artwork in, in uh, your studies or in your travels or in classic places, museums. You, there's this, the, the disciples were all in a gathered room and there's little, little flames above their heads. See, fire, if the wind is a, spirit, is a sign of the, of the spirit, fire is a sign of the presence of God himself. 
And so these tongues of fire are there. Why, was, why did they describe it as the tongue of fire? Well, because where we're going here in a minute is that there was this miracle that happened that people actually spoke in other tongues. People spoke in other languages is what happened. And so verse 3, so that, so that uh, they, all, they all, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, came to rest on each of them, verse 4, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the coming of the Holy Spirit to the world. For the first time, all of God's people would have the Spirit dwelling with them. See, what's so amazing about this, God sent his Spirit into the church, exclamation point, was that up until this time, the Spirit of God came to dwell with people or on specific people at specific times for specific reasons. But there was not this indwelling of God's people. There was not this overwhelming presence of God among the people. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he's like, hey, I'm going to have to go be with the Father. They're like, what do you mean you're going to go be like, we need you for our movement here, Jesus. And he goes, no, it's better for you. This is like in John 14, 15, 16, you can read this, this conversation with his disciples. Jesus said, no, it's going to be better for you if I leave, because if I leave, I'm going to send somebody, who will co- somebody else who's going to come, the counselor, the one who will walk with you, the Holy Spirit. If I leave, the Holy Spirit will come. Here's Jesus. If I'm with you, then it's me and you in Galilee, and that's where I am. If the Spirit comes, he'll be with all of God's people all the time. You get it? Exclamation point on the notes. God sent his spirit to live in the church. And that's the birth of the church. So this happens. So then what happens? It says the Holy Spirit came. uh, They all were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them. So there was this crazy miracle that happened. They began to speak other languages. Remember all the people from all the other places had gathered around Jerusalem? So look at verse 5. Look at what, where it goes. So they, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. So they must have spilled out of that room that they were in. And, or maybe they weren't even in a room and they were, they were just in an open courtyard somewhere. But people started hearing what was happening and the Holy Spirit showed up in power. And so they were like, what's going on here? People are speaking other languages. So they came running to this and they gathered around. Utterly amazed, verse 7, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Like, don't they live here locally? Like, they shouldn't know these other languages. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And there were, there were 11 or 12 disciples here at this point, right? There was, uh, there was 12 because they had already picked the, the guy to replace Judas. There were 12 disciples. And yet all these people are hearing the good news in their native language. Verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene and visitors from Rome and both Jews and converts to Judaism were there, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed, you think. They asked each other, what in the world does this mean? And some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they've had too much wine. God showed up in a crazy, miraculous way. And they began to speak in other languages. Now, some of you are like, is this the gift of tongues? What's that about? Is that a different thing? That's a different thing. That's a different thing. Because there may be, a, when you see the tongues, tongues is not talked about very much in Scripture, and we can't because I'm already over my part of this three-headed sermon, but, so I can't go to there to talk to you about it, but we'll have a seminar. You want to have a seminar? We'll have a seminar. We'll talk about this whole tongues thing. 
But this, in this place, it wasn't that maybe somebody had an ecstatic experience with the Lord where they, that where they had a, a, uh, a language or, an, or uh, ecstatic utterances that they didn't understand. They gave expression with groans too deep for their own words to express. That's a prayer language thing. That's a thing that churches often use in worship and in encouragement with one another. This is people showed up and God spoke to somebody who didn't speak the language, they, they, Right? That's like me speaking to you in Cantonese, which I have no concept of. It was a miracle. What do we learn about this miracle? One is that God said, I'm doing a new thing and you're going to have supernatural power. This is going to be a supernatural deal. This can't happen apart from God. No ifs, ands, or buts. The Holy Spirit is a God thing and that's what characterizes the church. And two... If that Holy Spirit comes, you're going to have a message that will go, ready, to every single person in the world. And that's good news. Ben, let's talk more about it. Thanks, Jeff. As we're going to continue to, to walk through this, that, that it's not just that God sent a spirit to live in the church, but that God's presence, the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, is the gift of God's presence and the gift of God's power. But before we unpack that, I, I think you should know something about me. I don't often self-brag, um, but when I was in high school, I was a, I was a band geek. I, I actually won the John Philip Sousa Band Award in 1993. It was really impressive, I know. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, um, I, I loved music. I played the piano as a little kid. Uh, in fifth grade, I chose the saxophone. I tried my hand at bagpipes. Um, but, but by high school, um, I landed on playing the string bass, the double bass, the giant violin. That was like my instrument. And, uh, and I'm not going to lie, I got, I got pretty decent. And, um, and I loved, loved, loved uh, playing music and loved being in band. And uh, by my senior year, I had an opportunity to play um, in a couple really different uh, distinct bands. And one of them, I got to play in the Marin Youth Symphony. And, uh, and I don't know if you like classical music. Um, I'm not a big fan of classical music, but there was something about being a musician where you take all this hard work, all of this discipline, all of the understanding theory and notes and reading music and sight reading, and then you get to sit with really competent musicians and you play this music that is so beautiful. And it's really a unique culture. In fact, it's so unique. At the very first uh, youth symphony uh, per um, performance, they finished the first movement. If you've ever been to a symphony, that's not the end. But my mom didn't know that. And she's like, woo! That's my son! And, um, and the director goes, like gave my mom the look of death. I'm like, okay, we're not classical music people. Um, but there is, there's, there's this thing. And, but what's interesting about classical music is you are playing somebody else's music. There's some brilliant composer who wrote this beautiful music, and then people spend their entire lives disciplining themselves, learning themselves, white-knuckling things to be competent and excellent so you could then play this music. And I got to do that my senior year. It was really fun. But one of the things I got to do, um, because I could play the double bass, and, and there's a couple uh, little jazz quartets that loved having like a double bass uh, person part of it. I got to play like some jazz gigs and do some things like that. And uh, what was wild is that was a totally different experience. In the same way, I had to use all of this musical um, theory and practice and skills. But instead of playing somebody else's music, you kind of got to play your own music. There was like this framework, right? Uh, for jazz musicians, there's this thing called a fake book, and it's like this one sheet of music that has like the, the melody and then a chord progression. And then great musicians, really great musicians, not high school musicians like me, but they would take that, and then they would just begin to play, and their own form of music would come, and it would just be incredible. And that was just me in high school. Then I cut my finger off, and that was the end of my, uh, my, my music career. Um, but there's been really great uh, musicians who've done that in excellent ways and in excellent ways 
for all of history. And uh, what's great is every now and then I get to go to SF Jazz and, and listen to like the most incredible musicians. And if you've listened to incredible musicians, incredible jazz musicians, you're just mesmerized by their grace and their talent and their art, artistry, and it is overwhelming. And that's really what happened at Pentecost. At Pentecost, there was this group of Jewish people who loved God, who knew what God said, who knew what God wanted from them, who followed Torah as well as they possibly could. They were amazing classical musicians. But when Pentecost came, when the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit did this new thing in them. He created a new song in their heart. And now this, this discipline, the things that they, who they were and what they were good at was no longer just doing someone else's song. That The Holy Spirit wanted to partner with them to sing this new song, to create this new song. And that is what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon them. It's what the prophet Ezekiel prophesied about. In chapter 36, it says this, for I will take you out of the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and from all of your idols. What's so incredible is people for all of human history have been white knuckling at trying to do this classical music religion to please God because there's this something in us that we know that we're not doing it right and what if God's mad at us and so we try so hard and we're white knuckling it and there's nothing wrong with trying to be good people and be religious people and do what's right. But the God, through the Holy Spirit, wants to clarify it's not just white knuckling and doing it right. He says right here, no, you are made right. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and all of your idols. Then I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from, your, remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And he goes on to say, then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You'll be my people and I will be your God. And that's what happened at Pentecost. These religious people who were trying to do the right thing now had new hearts and the Holy Spirit came upon them. He removed their heart of flesh and gave them a heart of spirit and began to move in them and through them. And the overwhelming testimony of scripture is that when the Holy Spirit comes, the gift of the Holy Spirit is now we have access to God, like true access. The whole Jewish ritual was that there was a temple with a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, the presence of God from normal common people like you and me. And once a year, the priest would, would, get, would make sacrifices and, and, and bridge that gap. But when Jesus died on the cross, that, that curtain was torn in two. And now this holy and perfect God in his magnificent presence is now made available to all of us because we've been sprinkled clean through the blood of Christ. We now are temples of the Holy Spirit. The temple is not a place that we need to go on pilgrimage seven days after, um, um, after different festivals, right? But it's a place that now it resides in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. It's interesting when you get in trouble, you go on time out. If you're, if like the worst kind of punishment you can ever get is actually being in solitary confinement, right? Being alone is the worst possible thing. And we live in a context where there's an epidemic of loneliness. And here as the church, we get to be the body of Christ. We get to express God's kindness and grace by being with people. But even more than that, the actual presence of God, the actual power of God resides in people. And in Christ, we have intimacy with God. He is our counselor and he's our friend. The other thing is that we have the actual power of God. When I was a kid, I, when I was younger, I just thought that means I can do stuff. Like I could be like the ultimate like abracadabra. If God's power is in me and God's power is infinite, then I can pray these amazing prayers and these incredible miracles would happen. And maybe because of my pride, I've always been um, 
Never been allowed to do that. However, I have seen that the true power of God is a real thing. When the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, we have these new songs. We have a new heart. We have a new way in which we're supposed to live. And there's something really unique, and it is a miracle because it is a Christian thing, not just to be nice and gracious. We have all sorts of people who are nice and gracious. I have all sorts of friends who could care less about God and are nice and gracious to their friends. But it is the power of God that allows us to love one another, to forgive one another, to love our enemies, to be healed and transformed and generous, not just for your tribe, but for all people. And so when Pentecost came, when these tongues of fire came, it was no, not just a religious in, uh, endeavor. It wasn't just a miraculous moment. It wasn't just a historical event that we look back and go, that was great that that happened in Acts a long time ago. But it is a reminder for us at the church that we are spirit-filled people. We are spirit-led people. That God does, wants us to continue to do the work, to learn our craft, to be these incredible musicians, to know and love God, to be disciplined, to be religious, to work out our faith, but not to be good, upstanding religious people, but so that we are now free. Because God longs to use you where you are, with your unique gifts, with your unique talents, in your unique sphere of influence. God longs to have his presence come upon you and to give you power so that you can give testimony to the grace of our risen Lord. All right, Greg, let's finish it up. Thanks, Ben. So there's a third movement in this message. In fact, let's go ahead and put that text up. God sent his spirit uh, to live in the church, in the people that are the church. The gift of the Holy Spirit is access to God's presence and power. And then would you put that text up, the next text? I want to read that uh, together because the question is, what shall we do? Let's see that text from Acts 2 that asks that question. So you get this, the people see this, experience this miracle, all kinds of languages are being spoken by people who can't speak them at the same time. And folks that are walking by hear their specific language. I mean, it's at several layers, that's miraculous. And then they blame that on too much wine. You guys have had too much to drink. That must explain this. No, that's not the explanation. And there's a whole message that is the explanation. And people are convinced by the explanation. And they ask this. They, they heard this. And they were cut to the heart. I mean, there's something in their hearts that was drawn to what was going on. And they said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We've seen this. We've heard this. We've experienced this. What do we do with this? And we want today to remind our church that that ancient question is still the appropriate question. That question that was asked back then, what shall we do? What should we do with this Holy Spirit information? It's still today's question, too. And uh, it, it, we want to focus on two different aspects of that question, two different answers that we think are the relevant answers for us today. First of all, let's stay with the music theme. And I want to illustrate that with my trumpets. Ben was a bass player. Jeff was a radio player. I was a trumpet player. <clears throat> In fact, I was in a band, it wasn't a uh, jazz band, it was a horn band. I was in the school symphony and 
all that kind of stuff in jazz band too, but I was also in a working band when I was in high school. Two, we had to turn down jobs because I was too young to take them, and we were called Captain Trucker. And so I actually had the Captain Trucker insignia painted on my trumpet case. This trumpet was given to me as a gift from my parents when I was in fourth grade. I started out saying, I want to play the drums. <clears throat> and so I go to school thinking, they're going to put me behind one of those, fourth grade. And they hand me this little, called a drum pad, this little, basically a two-by-four with some rubber on it and a pair of sticks. And they said, okay, you practice, learn how to do it on that. I said, when do I get to go play those? Fifth grade, you get to play those. For fourth grade, for the whole year, I have to play these stupid little stick things. I don't want to. I want to play the real instrument. They said, "Well, you could you could have the instrument tomorrow if you choose to play the trumpet." I'm in. I want to. So my parents figured out that I was serious about it, and in fourth grade, they went and they bought this trumpet. This is a starter trumpet. My parents probably got on one of those lease to buy programs because my dad was a barber. They weren't going out and buying a brand new trumpet. This thing is so skinned, it was brand new shiny when I got it. So skinned up and nicked up. If you could see it in person, there's hardly any brass left on it. There's a big bend in the bell. The bell is all out of shape, which of course affects the sound. Because I was probably goofing off, throwing something at somebody, and Bannon dropped it straight down the bell and folded it. And, uh, but it was mine from fourth grade. I still have it, my parents' gift to me. I remember when my mom and dad came, took this thing out of the... Of the um, case and said in effect okay it's time for you to choose between talking about the trumpet and playing the trumpet it's time for you to either pick up the trumpet and start learning your scales bum 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 over and over playing the scales or stop talking. And that represents the first question some people are asking. What must we do? For some of us in this room, it's time, because we have a pretty significant group of people who are here, part of our church, but still considering becoming followers of Christ. And it's time, we want to be really clear about this. There's a difference between talking about the trumpet liking the trumpet, respecting those who play the trumpet, and playing the doggone thing. And for some, the answer to the question, what shall we do, is this. Pick up the doggone horn. Choose to follow Christ. Choose to move from that category, legitimate category of people who are seeking Christ and hearing the message and feeling something in their hearts and loving the community and respecting Christians. And from there to here, making a decision to say, Jesus, here I am. It's me, Art. Yes. I want to start playing my scales. I want to receive you as my leader ask you to forgive my sins. I want to become a Christian. I'm in. There's a second answer to that same question. I played this trumpet all the way through, symphonic band, jazz band, everything, all the way up until the spring of my senior year in high school. 
And then I was thinking about this between gatherings. I think this was actually my 18th birthday gift. So I, I've had this for, you know, 10 years. <laughs> <clears throat> my parents said, it's time for you to quit playing the fourth grade trumpet and your scales. And they bought me a full bore. That's a medium bore. It takes way more wind to play this. Getson Severinsen model. Nobody had a Doc Severinsen model trumpet in high school. And back then, nobody had a nickel-plated trumpet. They were all brass. This trumpet to me, also a gift from my parents, represents the second question, the second answer. What shall we do? Some have said, I've had the fourth grade trumpet and I've been playing my scales for years. I've received Jesus. But the Holy Spirit has come and indwells us, wants to give us great power. And as Ben had said, it's time maybe for some to move from playing scales to playing jazz, like Severinsen played jazz, up in the upper registers, screeching and playing tunes up there and having people's jaws drop because of what they see and hear. For some who have been Christians for some time, it's time to say, Holy Spirit has been sent, and Holy Spirit is still working in me. But maybe I haven't been filling the horn with enough wind. It's time for me to say, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do in me, I'm in. Whatever you've already given me the gift, which is the Holy Spirit, now give me a gift of the Holy Spirit, or two or three. What spiritual gift do you want to give me? I'm not telling you what you can and can't do anymore. I'm just saying, here I am. Uh, last night I was praying and I, sensed, I said to the Lord in my prayer last night, Lord, I need help to be who I dream of being and to stop being who I hate being. And I sensed the Holy Spirit saying to me, Greco, you don't need help. You need surgery. You, you need me to come in in deep ways and burn something new and make a new man, a powerful man, a man that is going to be the man I hope he will be. And the church needs that too. Say, oh, Holy Spirit, come into me. You're already in me, but come and fire me up, but not just me, our whole church, to serve our whole community. And you get to dictate any gift you want to give me, and I'm receiving it. What do I need from you to be who you want me to be, Lord? The man you want me to be, the woman you want me to be, to fill the full bore instrument and to play the jazz? That's the question he's asking of some of us. And some of us who have known Christ for some time need to say in answer to the question, what shall we do? We yield 100%. And we receive the gifts from the Holy Spirit. I don't know where you are in each one of those camps. We're going to worship a little bit more now before we head out. And while we sing, pray while we sing. While we sing, listen while we sing to what the Lord might be saying to you. Gift of the Holy Spirit, gift which is the Holy Spirit, become a Christian. The gift from the Holy Spirit, become an empowered Christian. And just as we remain standing, we're going to do one more song and before we give you a benediction as well and send you out. But we want to do an action item at every one of these sermons. Action. An action item. Get it? Acts. Action item. Do you get it? 
Because we want to know, so how is it? If we're going to do a deep dive into what is the church going to be about, then we want to send you home with something. And this action item around this gift of the Holy Spirit is this question. We want everyone in our church to be asking this question or saying this, making this statement, I will seek to walk in the Spirit every day. I will seek to walk, by God's grace, I'll seek to walk in the Spirit every day. Every day I'll be somebody who walks in the Spirit. That's a biblical phraseology, walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with Him. Since life has come from the Spirit, then let's stay with Him. Let's walk with Him every day. And so the action item is, will you be somebody who says, boys, we go into this year living another year as God's people, infused with His Holy Spirit. Will I be intentional because it is upon us, friends, to say, okay, all I am is yours, Holy Spirit. You come. Will we be intentional to seek to discern all that God is calling us to? To discern all that God wants to do in our lives. I mean, seeds for deeds. We can't do that without the supernatural power of God to come in and say, hey, you know those kids in your neighborhood who don't know where to go after school and need the homework club? That's you. We can't do that, this, those kinds of things. We can't look around the world and say, we could make an impact in micro-business in Africa. And how come nobody's doing something I want to do? How are you going to discern what God has for you? It's only by being open and responsive to the Holy Spirit's call on your life. How do you become part of this church? How do you know when you walk around, should I join Alpha or Solutions or, or the men's Bible? It's like, what do I do? We need the Holy Spirit to come and say, come here and bring your gifts here and receive these gifts that I have for you. We can't possibly be the church, you get it? Without a submission to this Holy Spirit that he is sending to us. So will I seek to walk in the Spirit every day? How do you do that? Every day, friends, and maybe a hundred times a day, we exhale the self-centered living. Not my will, God. Not my will. Not my junk, not my lies, not my confusion, not my lusts. I confess and release that. I exhale it and I inhale all that you have for me. That Holy Spirit who indwells me, I receive it. Will you seek to walk every day in the Spirit? Let's continue to respond to Jesus who has come and brought his Spirit in our midst.